Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world. Produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Tisha Nahern. The climate is changing, and so is our world. But what does it sound like? Anya Kungaiser and Daniel Jenich's A Story of Extinction is a sonic meditation on climate change, the Anthropocene, and capitalism. The displacement of people from their lands is at the heart of colonisation. The changes occurring today across the global environment is intimately tied to this displacement. This is a story of land and ecological, geological and atmospheric transitions. It is a story of X and Z, C, D and T. Its cast is many and varied and certainly not at all contained here. It is a story made up of four parts which speak to spans, centuries, decades, years, months, days, minutes and seconds, and to scales beyond microscopic to global horizons. It is a story of colonialism and extraction, not only of humans, but also of others. Despite its violence, it is not only a sad story, because it is unfinished and always will be. It is a story of words making worlds and the need for effort to listen to them as they come into being. undergoing major ecological, geological and atmospheric transitions is without doubt. These changes are preempted and documented in multiplying scientific and ethnographic reports, outlining disasters along ever-shrinking timelines and increasing magnitudes. The scales of melting, heating, dying, acidifying, flooding and toxifying that have been taking place over centuries, decades, years, months, days, minutes and seconds are becoming more and more evident as time moves on. In recognition of this evidence, at the turn of the millennium, X proposed to a room full of Xs that the planet had been experiencing massive, human-caused, geophysical and biospheric change. X offered up a term to all those other X's, the Anthropocene, to think about this geological epoch in which human-made processes and activities have had significant effects on the Earth's ecosystems. 
While early discussions tended not to emphasize the social historical causes of these changes, these very material causes could not be denied. The Anthropocene appears as a rough placeholder for an undefined and arguably unprecedented historical condition underpinned by environmental uncertainties, which demand critical reassessments of how material engagements take form, hold fast, and or break apart in space and time. X thus found that the changes to planetary processes over the last centuries, decades, years, months, days, minutes and seconds had been, in large part, anthropogenic, that is to say, caused by human activity. However, as Zed pointed out, not all human activity had played an equal role in these changes, and nor would all humans and all non-human life forms be equally affected by them. You see, Zed had already argued that the very uneven power lines of capital, the uneven ways in which some people had more access to resources, education, security and livelihoods than others, had been multiplying and spreading. At the heart of the Anthropocene, then, told Zed, lay histories of violence. The Anthropocene, argued Zed, speaks to the unequal possessions of economic, technological means for resource extraction and accumulation. The Anthropocene is predicated on exploitation, colonialism, slavery and genocide. The melting, heating, dying, acidifying, flooding and toxifying is not happening everywhere at the same time, on the same scales. In some places, it has been happening for decades. In some, it is still to come. Some islands are inundated with every king tide, leaving D without homes or food, while nearby, T still build beachfront resorts. What is clear, concluded Zed, is that catastrophe does not unfold in the same ways, at the same times, in the same places. This is Earth Matters, and we're listening to A Story of Extinction. Part 2 by listening to places and spaces, it is possible to discern and even often obscured and gradual processes such as extinction and dispossession. The differential movements and events that Zed spoke of were hard to see and hard to hear. They didn't only affect humans, they affected plants, animals, infrastructures, geological formations, 
atmospheric cycles and weather patterns. They affected these things on microscopic levels as much as they did at the level of global ecosystems. In fact, these levels were always, always entangled together. As a side note, to even understand there could be such differences was difficult to recognize for many of the X's and Z's, despite that the C's and D's had always said there were such differences and had fought to hear them. But C's and D's had had to fight for centuries, decades, years, months, days, minutes and seconds to be heard by the X's and Z's. So the various kinds of deafnesses of the X's and Z's were already well known. Despite the deafness, when X offered up the Anthropocene, some Z's saw that it would be a useful word to indicate the collapse of the age-old humanist distinction between natural history and human history. For these Z's, the Anthropocene helped somewhat to highlight the mutual ways in which humans and plants, animals, infrastructures, geological formations, atmospheric cycles and weather patterns affected each other. This helped Zed to show what was really at stake in the activity of global production and consumption. It helped to push to the forefront the planet itself as a constituent within human politics, rather than something that sat inert in the background. Zed had already said that events such as global warming, the rise of human-animal diseases and genetic modification would make it ever more difficult to imagine a world that consists of discrete and static essences, or that is divisible into two separate ontological domains. Zed had already said that this challenge would change the idea of nature to something that is continuously composed by a multiplicity of actors human and non-human, and thus suffused with politics and power from the outset. For Zed, this perspective was far from typical in conversations about the natural world. Many Zeds argued that nature existed before society, or that nature was produced through society. Zed said that this other perspective on nature was all about connection and composition. It looked at how things were formed in relation to one another. Zed said, at the same time as it showed the singularity of things, it also showed how things were not only one thing, but adaptable things. Perspectives like these Zed said, tended to explore the ways in which the entities, capacities and processes conventionally pre-assigned to the spheres of the natural and the social are mutually conditioned and constituted in the everyday business of living in the world. This, for Zed, helped to see nature as as an active, changeable presence that is always already in our midst. 
to challenge spatial as well as social predispositions. For said, then, the range of issues associated with changing ecosystems require different approaches to make sense of all the melting, heating, dying, acidifying, flooding and toxifying, and the march of life in all directions despite this. What is at stake in the Anthropocene is the identification and articulation of a world whose social, political and physical parameters are changing faster than our capacity to process and analyze them. The Anthropocene names a need for novel questions and methodologies that enhance our geographical, social and political lexicon. For Zed, Stuck in the loops of talking and thinking, talking and thinking, talking and thinking and writing. Listening was a part of inventing such novel questions. Trying to find some point to hear from, literally hear from, quite literally with the body and the ears, Zed felt that the feelings created through sound would bring the world closer. Sound, thought Zed, would help Zeds reflect on the contemporary condition, which was considered very important at the time. For Zed, there was no before time that humans could go back to, partially because that before time never existed in the way Zed would have liked to imagine, nor was it possible to reverse the processes that had warmed the Earth's atmosphere and oceans though geoengineering was said to become a big thing. The enormity of these accelerated processes, combined with particular lines of thought, meant that acknowledging these changes was utterly terrifying. Zed had once read... Because of the way our daily lives have been altered by both market and technological triumphalism, we lack many of the observational tools necessary to convince ourselves that climate change is real, let alone the confidence to believe that a different way of living is possible. Despite their apprehension, Zed thought that developing the capacity to listen to the world was a way to put their knowledge of the world at risk. This meant, because listening took time, it was different to the usual ways of doing things. Listening was all about hesitation.
Set belief that gaps were a good thing. Gaps let things in. Gaps let things out. To be honest though, this didn't feel like much for Zed. It didn't feel like anywhere near enough. Not like bodies on a line. But for Zed, at that moment in time, it felt like a modest beginning. So Zed listened. And listened. And listened. In listening, Zed started to realise that nature wasn't out there, in the forests or somewhere, but right here, in the everyday passages through everyday life in everyday space. For what it was worth, it did make a difference, thinking about that. At any rate, it was better than nothing, said supposed. forms of life are hybrid with and dependent upon terrestrial resources with soil, minerals, organisms, atmospheres, life cycles that overlap and adapt, symbiotically support and also negate. Whatever happens to the human species, the cosmos will continue on, indifferent to human inhabitation. Wrapped in their own desires and fears, pathos and ego, lamentations and liturgies, X and Z ran into one another in a corridor. After picking X off the floor, after picking up scattered papers and a book on cloud formation, Z looked X earnestly in the face. You know, said Z to X, that in the end, the question of all the plants, animals, infrastructures, geological formations, atmospheric cycles and weather patterns, melting, heating, dying, acidifying, flooding and toxifying, over centuries, decades, years, months, days, minutes and seconds, will be done. remember 
Tanya Kangaiza and Daniel Jenich performing A Story of Extinction, recorded at the Liquid Architecture Festival in October 2015. Catherine Round and Leia Borromeo of Disobedient Films teamed up with composer Jamie Pereira to create Climate Symphony, a one-minute composition sonifying climate change. Anita Macri from SciDev.net spoke to Catherine and Leia about the project. What we do as Disobedient is we, we find new ways to tell stories ways that are disobedient in form and content. And when we looked at the idea of climate change, uh, we came up with something that was a little bit out of the ordinary. Take data and turn it into sound. Basically. So we take take a lot of hard, raw data and actually turn it into something that is engaging and something that makes people question things and question their emotions, question their feelings and question the stories Mm. behind the data that that we've, we've actually... I suppose the way that a lot of people um, grasp it is when we say it's like if Hans Rosling did sound. What we're doing is we're making it into a, a, a symphony, basically. We're making it into something that you can immerse yourself in, that you can actually tangibly experience. So how do you differentiate between kinds of sounds? I mean, is, mm. is each type of data related to a different instrument or yes. sound? Well, actually what we do is we think about it in terms of a story first. What story do we want to tell? Do we want to tell the story of climate migrants? Do we want to tell the story of asthma? Do we want to tell tell the story of food access? And if you imagine, we take the data sets, which in themselves represent people, um, and we we, we decide what instrument represents that data set. We put them all together and then layer one on top of the other, and using the data points which then transpose onto musical scale... Um, come out with a symphony. The data's doing the writing, yeah. not us. Obviously, there's always an interpretation when you're sort of putting art onto anything that's, that's hard like this, but what we're trying to do is keep the, the compositional process as pure to the data sets as possible. Do you make a choice based on the data and the data story, or do you make a choice as to what to present based on how it sounds? It's a bit of a conversation. So mm. when, once we've decided on the story we want to tell. Um, we will then find the data that, that relates to that and that pertains to that. And we will stick to that. Mm. Um, but we'll change something into a melody as opposed to having something as a rhythm or we'll mm. turn it on its head. Um, some of the natural disasters like floods in Pakistan, which we have as a data set uh, currently, they come in very dramatically at certain points. So they, they really sort of punctuate some of the melodies that, uh, that the other data is sort of bringing along. The process of data sonification is a very, very new and emerging field, um, and it's a really exciting one. And I think in a world where we're sort of saturated with hearing the same messages, any way to kind of engage people with a subject that's so important, like climate change, um, is, is really worthwhile. One thing we found is that more and more, all the melodies are becoming much and much, much more urgent and, mm. and much and much faster and much and much sort of like slightly scarier, you know, which is why we sort of say this is the sound of a dying planet. I mean, it's not the happiest thing in the world, but at least through doing something like this, um, there is a chance for another type of engagement, another type of conversation, literally using it as a very disruptive tool yeah. to demonstrate what's going on. Alongside the live performance, we'll, we'll launch um, the websites, which 
initially we'll obviously give information about data sonification and what we're doing but once the performance is over we'd like this website to um, have obviously more information on what was played but also tools so that people can um, play around with what was actually performed, change the instrumentation, do their own symphonies based around their postcode. The data sets we're using are actually global and ultimately we'd like the project to be able to tour or to be open source and that it can go to people in all different countries around the world. Our working processes are very open source, um, as is the data set, as is all the material that we're using. And by opening that up to everybody who does you don't have to have a computer um, you can still sonify your own data you can mm. still do this as long as you use you know a particular formula you can do this is there a role for scientists absolutely there is definitely i mean we have a background in working with academics in in other projects i've just done a, a film myself which essentially worked with two epidemiologists um looking into issues um around health and society and t- taking a whole lot of data sets and turning them into narratives i think in this project we'd look to do a similar model, which is to work with academics and, you know, working in the forefront of, of climate change um, and help and, and work alongside them so that this obviously has, has validity as, a, as an educational tool alongside its um, obvious engagement potential. You've been listening to Earth Matters, Australia's weekly environmental justice programme for community radio. I'm Tisha Nahern. If you missed any of today's show, you can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. Earthmatters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earthmatters is produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the lands of the Kulin Nations. You can contact us on 03 9419 8377 or earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. I hope you can tune in next week for more Earth Matters.